Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Good morning and welcome on this beautiful summer Sunday in Boston. Welcome to this sacred space of Marsh Chapel and welcome to our service of worship. We greet those of you joining us in person at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, over the airways at 90.9 .9 FM WBUR, and over the internet at WBUR.org. Dean Hill is away these summer months, but he sends his greetings. We are delighted to welcome to the pulpit this morning Dr. Jonathan Walton from that school across the river. Dr. Walton is the Plummer Professor of Christian Morals and Pusey Minister of Harvard Memorial Church. Thank you, Dr. Walton, for bringing us the word this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, let us stand in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy, increase and multiply upon us your mercy, that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal, that we lose not the things eternal. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. As we enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone, please join us and the choir in the singing of the Kyrie. Beloved, good news, there is more love in God than there is sin in us. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first book of Kings, chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 119 responsively with the antiphon. decrees are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it imparts understanding to the simple. With open mouth I pant, because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your custom towards those who love your name. Keep my steps steady according to your promise, and never let iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because your law is not kept. Now please rise as you are able for the singing of our Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew, chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and 44 through 52. Glory to you, O Lord. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. 
Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise to you, Lord Christ. To God be the glory for the wonderful things that God has done. It is a real privilege and a pleasure to join you today here in Marsh Chapel on this awesome and awe-inspiring campus of Boston University. I'm indeed appreciative and indebted to the fine dean of this chapel, Dr. Robert Hill, and his amazing staff of chaplains for this invitation and his ongoing support of our efforts across the river at the Memorial Church at Harvard University. Just as I'm appreciative of all of you, whether assembled in this sanctuary this morning or listening to us on the radio, I appreciate that you took time out, time out of your busy summer schedule to come that we might worship God together. Now, it's my understanding that the theme of this eighth annual summer preaching series is the gospel and emerging adulthood. There are few other scripture passages that speak better to this theme than this week's lection that's already been read for your hearing that comes from 1 Kings chapter 3. Yet for sermonic emphasis, let me just repeat and underscore a few particular lines. God says to the emerging King Solomon, ask of me what I should give you. And Solomon said, you've made me king in place of my father David, although I'm only a little child. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. Therefore, give me an understanding heart or a discerning mind so that I might govern your people, and so that I might understand between good and evil. 
And then God said, well, because you've asked for wisdom over long life or riches, not only will I give you a discerning mind and heart, I'll also give you great wealth and all of the desires of your heart. With your prayers and the Holy Spirit's power, I want to speak this morning from the topic, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. Now, Reverend Buchanan, it's hard to deny that wisdom and her pursuit appear to be honored throughout the ages and across cultures. The ancient Egyptians worshipped Mayat, the goddess of truth, justice, balance, and order. The Greeks had Sophia, wisdom's personification in the beginning of all knowledge. Aristotelian ethics professes that phronesis, practical wisdom, is all of the virtues personified. And among the Swahili in East Africa, wisdom is wealth, the sort of wealth that can never be consumed but only shared. As the literature of the Hebrew Bible encourages us at one point, Wisdom is better than gold, and understanding should be chosen over fine silver. This is one of the primary reasons that King Solomon of ancient Israel has been held up as a moral paragon of virtue down through the ages. King Solomon reigned in the early 10th century before Christ, and the story we read for your hearing has come to define at least half of his legacy. For when offered a blank check by God, ask for whatever you will. Solomon did not ask for a long life. Solomon did not ask for fortune, nor did Solomon ask for fame. But rather, realizing the limitations of his cognitive capacity and deficiencies of discernment, right from wrong, good from evil, Solomon asked God for wisdom. Lord, I'm just a child if not in years, but in maturity. And I can imagine Solomon looking at the task before him as he ascended to the throne to replace his father David and becoming overwhelmed by his own vulnerability. Therefore, Solomon said, Lord, give me an understanding heart so that I might discern between good and evil. And because God was pleased with Solomon's humble request, according to the writer, God gave him what he asked for and a whole lot more. Solomon becomes the synecdoche for wise counsel. You may recall the story of two women, two women who came before Solomon arguing over who was the mother of a child. Well, chop the child in half, the king declares, and then let them divide the child. And when one of the women protests in horror and declares, no, let her have the child, just don't harm the baby, Solomon identifies that woman as the rightful mother. For it's the genuine love of a mother that would opt to hand over rather than harm her own precious baby. This captures Solomon's wisdom, his gift of discernment, the grace of God operating in his life. 
And in many ways, Solomon's initial response to God represents the appropriate posture we should all assume when time to confront life's challenges. Solomon assumed a posture of profound humility. He understood that before he could rise to meet the challenge of being king, he had to be honest about his own inadequacies. This, my friends, is what it means to be irresponsible. It's what it means to be a responsible adult. This is what it means not to just be a happy, but a healthy leader. Humility. This is a leadership trait that I think is undervalued in our society, and it cuts against the grain of the expectations that many place upon our shoulders. In the words of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, in a different context, too many of us wear the mask. Rather than being honest about our shortcomings, rather than being honest about our fears, we opt to look the part and act the part. We attempt to fake it until we make it, if you will. All the while, the only person that we're fooling is often ourselves. Well, Australian leadership expert Peter Fuda says that there are two main ways in which leaders wear masks. Some of us conceal our perceived inadequacies and flaws behind a polished facade. We act as if we have it all together. Others of us take on a different persona at work based upon an ideal of what we assume a leader to be. We put on a perceived superhero costume as we try to step into the shoes of Sheryl Sandberg, Mark Cuban, or Ronald Reagan. All the while, we deprive ourselves of the resources and of the wisdom that we may need to become more effective, more trustworthy, and thus more accomplished based upon the gifts and the graces that God has given us. For typically, if we think about it, even Stevie Wonder can see beneath all of our affectations and our bravado. He can see that we're gifted yet insecure people trying to live up to someone else's expectations. And this is why, according to Fuda, being authentic is far more important than appearing perfect for the latter forecloses growth and maturation, while authenticity places us on a path of personal cultivation and moral development. God, give me wisdom, for I'm just a child. I can't tell between right or wrong. Now, don't misunderstand me, friends. I'm not being Pollyannish here, I get it. We live in a world where this sort of leadership that I'm describing here and that Solomon seems to be modeling, uh, most often this type of leadership is out the door before sundown. Not to mention that there's so many roles based upon gender, race, and vocational expectations that it would seem that vulnerability is among the greatest liabilities that any of us could ever show. Thoughtfulness is often perceived as indecisiveness. Humility is often mistaken for weakness. Yet these, I believe, are the more reasons that I think we should follow Solomon's lead here. For with so many expectations based upon how one is supposed to act, quote unquote, 
we might as well be ourselves. For if you make a mistake being yourself, you at least know how to self-correct. But if you make a mistake trying to be somebody else, as my mother would say, you're up the creek without a paddle. Moreover, authenticity, vulnerability, humility, these are not the marks of insecurity, but they're actually signs of confidence. For they tell the world that we are secure enough in ourselves to be ourselves. This had to be the case for this emerging king. Was not Solomon a child of privilege? He grew up in the king's quarters. He grew up watching and mimicking his father, David, and I'm certain he received the best education and exposure that power could afford. Yet he was willing to place his privilege and power in check in order to discern the tools he needed to take on the task at hand. And it appears that he regarded being king as his privilege and his honor, not as his right or as his expectation. That's humility, my friends. Humility is power under control. For if you think about it, I would argue that it's not difficult to be hum humble when you or I don't have any power that ought to be restrained or be kept in check. For thus the true mark of humility and character is how we act and how we treat others when placed in positions of power and entitlement. When a blank check is offered to us, what do we do with it? Do we cash it in for personal gain, for our own gratification? Or might we consider the ways we might use our position, our power, our privilege to be of assistance to someone else? Initially, Solomon chose the latter. And this is why, in part, his name has remained on the hearts and minds of humanity for 3,000 years. Lord, give me an understanding heart so that I might be able to serve your people. But, but humble pursuit of wisdom is not the only lesson that we can learn from Solomon today. Yes, there is a tradition that exalts Solomon as the epitome of wise leadership. But wisdom among the Hebrew sages was always a contested category. There was a robust professional class of sages in ancient Israel that most likely produced and edited these earliest forms of wisdom literature. Proverbs, Job's, Job, Ecclesiastes, many of which they credited to Solomon. And while some in this professional guild regarded King Solomon as the quintessential example of a sage, there were others who were always skeptical of this sort of pursuit of wisdom. They saw it as a two-sided coin. The same gift of discernment in human hands can just as well lead even the best of us on a path to destruction. This is to say the very moment that we become aware of our wisdom and or conscious of our so-called humility, the greatest temptations of all, vanity, can infect all of us like a spiritual virus. This is the reason, this is the reason that just as much as wisdom is recommended by some, it's eschewed by others, even in the book of Proverbs. 
For both the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah attack the professional class of people in society that regard themselves as wise. Those who wrote the creation narrative depict the serpent as wise and crafty, one who promises Adam and Eve that they will know the difference between what? Good and evil. And isn't it interesting? that the writer of this text uses the same language of the serpent in Solomon's seemingly humble request. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I might be able to discern between good and evil. So just as much as Solomon might be an example of humble leadership, he might be also an example of wisdom's folly, vain temptation. For the very moment that we think that as finite, limited creatures, we have the right answers to life's confounding questions, our garments of humility become the armor of hubris. We become like the young man I saw in the mall the other week. He was wearing a t-shirt that boldly said on it, I am so humble. The progressive the progressive American historian Charles Beard said that all lessons of history hinge on a few phrases. The first phrase is this, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad with power. And the second is, the bee fertilizes the flower that it ultimately robs. And we know this to be the case with Solomon. It is said that not only did God answer his request for wisdom, he also gave him fame and fortune beyond what any could imagine. But it only took a few chapters in 1 Kings for us to see that the gold that defined Solomon's throne began to lose its luster. Like King Midas, sometimes having the golden touch is not worth the price. Solomon could not control his immense wealth nor his numerous quote-unquote wives and concubines that his vast amount of money in the ancient androcentric world could buy. And due to his idolatry, and dare I say his own vanity, Solomon began to rob the very nation he once fertilized with care and compassion. Give me a discerning mind so that I might know between good and evil. So whether this story, my friends, whether this story is one of God's blessing or of God's curse, I don't know. Again, I think we can learn something from both sides of the coin. We can learn as individuals and as nations that there's nothing wrong with seeking safety and security in life. There's nothing wrong with desiring success and satisfaction. There's nothing wrong with walking in wisdom. But whenever you and I believe that we are self-made individuals with all of the answers, whenever we become more comfortable in character than seeking to be people of character, and whenever as a community or as a nation, we think that we are the ones with the monopoly on the right, an absolute claim on what is good, we've become mad with power. And in the words of Martin Luther King Jr., we should not be surprised that we become misguided men and women 
firing guided missiles at others. And this, this is the very moment that we must retrace our steps on the road to success and sovereignty and find where we left compassion stranded along the paths that we've traveled. For to whom much is given, much is also required. And if we want to be wise, we must acknowledge over and over again that if it had not been for the Lord and somebody else's love on our side, where would we be? So yes, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad with power. And yes, the bee fertilizes the flower that it will ultimately rob. But fortunately, according to this same historian, there was a final phrase that defines history. And that is, when it gets dark enough, only then can we see the light of the stars. And that's the final phrase that I want to leave you with this morning. Sometimes the thing we think we desire are the least of what we need. Yet the moments we fear most in life, the midnight hours that evoke fear and trepidation, these are often the occasions that we can best witness God's love and God's amazing grace. This is why with maturity comes the capacity to sing even louder with the hymnologist, all ye saints of light proclaim, Jesus, the light of the world. Life and mercy are in God's name. Jesus, the light of the world, will walk in the light, beautiful light. Come where the dewdrops of mercy shine bright, shine all around us by day and by night. When it's dark, we can sing, Jesus is the light of the world. May the people of God say amen.
As we now come to a time of prayer in our service, I invite you to be seated, to remain standing, kneel, or come to the altar rail. Assume a posture of prayer as our choir leads us in the call to prayer, lead us, Lord. With all our heart and all our mind, let us pray to God and respond to each petition, Lord, have mercy. For the peace from above, for the loving kindness of God, and for the salvation of our souls, let us pray to the Lord, Lord, have mercy. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the church, and for the unity of all peoples, let us pray to the Lord, Lord, have mercy. For our president, Barack Obama, for the leaders of the nations, for our governor, Deval Patrick, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For this city of Boston, for every city and community and those who live in them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the good earth which God has given us, and for the wisdom and the will to conserve it, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who travel on land, on water, and through the air today, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the aged and infirm, for the widowed and for the orphans, for the sick and for the suffering, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For emerging adults and for all those who seek wisdom, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the poor and the oppressed, for the unemployed, and for prisoners and captives, and for all who remember and care for them, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who have died in the hope of the resurrection and for all the departed, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For deliverance from all danger, violence, oppression, and degradation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. That we may end our lives in faith and hope without suffering and without reproach, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Defend us, deliver us, 
and in thy compassion protect us, O Lord, by thy grace. Lord, have mercy. In the communion of all the saints, including Francis Willard, Howard Thurman, and Peter Gomes, let us commend ourselves and one another and all our life to Christ our God. And now we are bold to pray in the words that Christ taught us, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. And also with you. Good morning again, and welcome to Marsh Chapel, a heart in the heart of the city and a service in service of the city. We hope that you find a home here and feel that wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are welcome here. While our regular academic year programming is on hiatus in the summer, these months are an excellent time for discernment. If you haven't joined us in person before or in a while, consider, consider making your way over to Boston University one Sunday. If you're looking to deepen your relationship with the chapel, we invite you to consider membership with the chapter, and we invite all to consider vocation. How might your gifts, graces, and talents join together with the ministries of this place for the service of God in the world? Two brief announcements. Uh, Dean Hill joins us again next week as he brings us his take on the Summer Preacher series, uh, The Gospel in Emerging Adulthood. And second, um, last evening, uh, the Religious Life staff had their first uh, unofficial inaugural Hogwarts House Cup. And congratulations to Gryffindor on winning the House Cup. For more information on this event and future uh, iterations of it, please see Reverend Brittany Longstorff. And now, as the ushers wait upon us for our tithes and offerings, um, I invite you to meditate upon the choir's offering for us, uh, Thomas Tompkins' Almighty God, the Fountain of All Wisdom.
Blessed are you, O God, maker of all things. Through your goodness, you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Grant us wisdom and humility, and use us and what we have gathered in feeding the world with your love through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our source of light in the darkness and our source of redemption. Amen. Now unto God that is able to keep us from falling and present us before God's glory with exceedingly great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be honor, majesty, dominion, and power, even as God pours showers of blessings upon our head. To God be the glory, the honor, and the power. May all of God's children say together, Amen. Amen. 